0: Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. I'm so thankful for our New Testament scripture reading this morning because I am so tired I can hardly think straight. And I feel like I'm getting my words all twisted up. So to preach that, or to read that uh, we preach in the power of the Holy Spirit and not in our own strength and our own wisdom, that gives me great comfort this morning. So I hope it does you too as well. But uh, Colossians chapter 3. Verses 1 through 14. Let us uh, give attention to God's word this morning. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. Which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since that day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much that as we do come this morning, that what we are about to do, is not to stand before a man who is going to lecture and teach us from the Word of God. But Lord, we come this morning as your people to hear you speak to us. But God, there are we are always frail. We are were, we were always weak. We always struggle uh, with various things in our lives. But Lord, some days we feel that weakness more than others. And we come this morning, Lord, after a busy weekend, a lot of things going on. I'm sure everybody is um, uh, excited about the things that they've been able to do, but also probably very tired as well. And so we just come before you this morning, Lord, and just pray that you would work in a supernatural way, Lord, to proclaim your word faithfully, and God give us ears to hear by faith, that we would leave. Uh, Lord, uh, seeking to be pleasing in your sight, uh, to walk in obedience to the things that you have given us this morning. Uh, Lord, trusting you, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, I'll tell you what, it's been truly a blessing this week to pray for you as a congregation. And of course, this has been my prayer that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Um, As many of you know, especially those of you who did the Wednesday night study that we did earlier, uh, we've posted on our website, on the resource page, all the different prayers of the Apostle Paul in a file. And I'd encourage you to download that PDF file and to use that in your prayer life uh, as you pray uh, for yourselves, as you pray for your family, as you pray for one another As a church, it's just wonderful to have sort of a guide to to know exactly what God's will is for one another. These things, brothers and sisters, as we pray God's word, we can know that God will answer these prayers. Some things we pray we don't know because sometimes our will gets mixed in with what God wants, but this we know as we pray the word of God. Well, last week we talked about how the, the Gnostics were enticing the Christians a Colossae, to uh, seek a secret knowledge, you know, to that which is sort of beyond Christ. It's good that you have faith in Jesus Christ, they would say, but if you really want to live that fulfilled life, then here are some things that you need to know, some things you need to, to grasp to do that. Well, you know, as we hear these kind of things in our day and time, you know, it's not always immediate obvious to us, how some of these ancient heresies relate to us. I mean, how how can we relate to this kind of idea of secret knowledge and stuff like that? We have no secret handshakes at Kirk of the Plains or anything like that. But let me suggest to you, do we not live in a day and a time where people are seeking answers to all kinds of questions in life? And and because I think we, we are seeing sort of the breakdown of generational wisdom, I mean, uh, in generations past, you know, you would have a, a grandmother who would pass her wisdom down to her daughter. And then that mother would pass her wisdom down to that daughter and or the, the grandfather and the father and the son. You know, you would see that happening. But there's sort of a breakdown in that as we see the breakdown in the family and our country. And that doesn't happen quite as much. I'm not saying it has completely disappeared, but it's just not as common as it used to be. And then with the introduction of the internet and access to millions, billions of different opinions out there on the, the world wide web, you know, we can get online if we have any questions about anything, and we can ask someone, well, how do I do this? What resources are there available? And and, and so there are people asking questions about homeschooling, parenting, careers, relationships, finances, what you name it. People are out there uh, just begging for what's the right answer. And there are oftentimes I see as people are asking these questions, there's sort of a sense behind their questions of, am I doing it right? You know, is there a better way to do this? Am I, am I possibly missing out on something? This is the way I'm doing it now, but maybe there's a better way to do it. Am I missing something? Tell me. Is there sort of a secret remedy out there to my questions. And so maybe we're sometimes not quite so different from the Gnostic way of thinking. And of course, like the Gnostics in Paul's day, there are countless people out there on the internet that will be more than happy to tell you how to do things and stuff, but their answers are not always correct, even as the Colossians were encountering uh, in their day and time. And it's interesting, that Paul prays for the Colossians, you know? And here's these false teachers, just like in our day. People are like, well, here's the knowledge you need. Here's the secret. Here's the key. Here's the silver bullet that you need to, to just make your life just perfect. I mean, you're you're looking for all the puzzle pieces so you can put this life that you're living together just right so you have this beautiful picture. And Paul says, you know, I pray that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. But it's interesting that Paul doesn't just say knowledge. He doesn't just say gnosko. He actually says epigonosco. All knowledge. Full knowledge. May God give you that full knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. In other words that God would give us all that we need for life and godliness. Do me a favor, if you would, turn over to Second Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Um, you know, Paul's not the only one that uses this kind of language. And, and I want you to grasp this, brothers and sisters, of what we have in Jesus Christ. You know, I want you to see that God is working in a mighty and powerful way in the lives of his people. And, and this is what we read. In Second Peter, chapter uh, chapter one, verse three, Peter says, "His divine His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence." And then we're not going to take time to unpack it, but if you look at the next verse, you see exactly how he does that. How do you partake in that divine nature as you live by faith according to the promises of God's word? And so, so Paul, along with Peter, prays. You know that Christians would be full of the knowledge of God because knowing the will of God is necessary for living the will of God. Living as His children, living in a manner that is worthy of the Lord. Now, I want to say something. Uh, regarding this whole idea of living in a manner worthy of the Lord. D.A. Carson actually uh, makes comments about this uh, when he deals with this passage. And he talks about shame culture. Now, as Westerners, as Americans, uh, we sort of look down on uh, cultures of the world, especially like in Asian cultures and stuff. Oftentimes there's this shame culture built in where there's these taboos that are to be avoided or these... There's these cultural expectations that, that must be met or otherwise you will feel the shame of your family. And, and we view that as a bad thing. And there is very much a, a bad side to that, okay? Um, but we've down upon that because we go actually the opposite direction. We're the rugged individualist, right? Uh, we actually value people who are stubbornly independent, do we not? Do we not uh, sort of uh, hold up as our champions people who dare to be different, people who are at odds with the norm? We can see that as a good thing. And oftentimes, even in the church, and even if it borders on rebellion, even in the church, sometimes we will exalt those people, even though those that rebellion is contrary to God. Now, I'm bringing this up for a reason because I think we have a blind spot as American Christians as we come to texts like this because most cultures in the first century were closer to that pattern of more of a, a shame culture in the sense that they would seek to conform to an accepted standard. Okay, And, and we see this even in, in the Jewish culture. There was there was a, There wasn't that sense of the individual as much as the community and, and Paul was saying here that for the believer, we are to live in a manner that is becoming to the Lord. We are not to be rugged individuals, but we are to conform ourselves to a, a, a lifestyle that is consistent with our profession of faith in Jesus Christ. And and I mention this point because, like I said, I think it's, it's sort of a hurdle that, that many of us... Um, can view this, and actually can have several expressions. One expression might be that that we think that we can sin with freedom, and and sometimes, in, in doing that, we're just totally indifferent to how that is offensive to God. You know, we, we we profess to be Christians, and and yet then we live just totally a different life, a sin. I mean, you you know people like this that you know who a professed name. the the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and they're living together and they're using the Lord's name in vain and you know everything about their life just says I'm not a Christian and yet they're professing to be a Christian that could be one way it can express itself but I think even for those of us brothers and sisters who love the Lord Jesus Christ and and we seek to follow him there can be a sense in which we can unconsciously submit to Jesus Christ only to the degree that we think is appropriate rather than giving ourselves wholeheartedly to Jesus Christ. You know, we can feel really good about our relationship with the Lord because we feel like the things that we're doing are just fine. But maybe there are other things that the Spirit is bringing to our minds or things that we're reading in the Scriptures that we just sort of brush off. We just sort of let go. We just sort of ignore those things because we're just used as rugged individuals of sort of determining what is the right thing to do and what's not. I hope that makes sense. If not, catch me after the worship service and maybe we can talk more about that. But I think that's one blind spot. Another blind spot that we can have, I think, as we come to this text is, if God gives us truly everything, He gives us all things that pertain to life and to godliness, then that cuts out the attitude that I cannot maintain the Christian life. There are some believers who sort of approach the Christian life that way. Well, I would love to do that, Pastor Rick, but you just don't understand the pressures that are there in my life. You know, the temptations, Pastor Rick, that I have are so difficult and they're so weighty. I I just try to follow the Lord, but I, I just can't do that. Or, Pastor Rick, my circumstances are so difficult. Or, Pastor Rick, if you were married to my wife, you would understand my struggle. It's just so hard. Yeah. <laughs> I do marriage counseling too. But anyway. <laughs> you know, we might just say, "If you knew, if you knew, if you only knew." But brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ does know. He does know, and Jesus will not let us appeal to victimhood. We we cannot say that we cannot live a godly life, or that it's in. Possible for me to change because as Peter says his divine power has granted to us all things pertaining to life and to godliness and that's how it's possible brothers and sisters for us to grow in godliness because God is doing such a great work in us and Paul is praying for the manifestation of that work in the life of these believers that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Um, so that's why Paul praised this in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Now I want you to understand that this first part that I'm, I'm reading, all of chapter, or excuse me, all of uh, verse 9 and the first part of verse 10, is really the completion of Paul's prayer. That we have been filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. That's his prayer. The rest of it is, uh, we'll talk about in just a minute, but it's sort of the outworking, what what it looks like when this prayer is answered and and God manifests this in a person's life. But let me just mention one other thing first about the end of this. that, That phrase, fully pleasing to him. You see, in in the Gnostic culture, teaching was highly theoretical and really not related to life that much. There was a lot of rules in Gnosticism, and you must do these things, but it didn't really affect your life per se. You could have this, this lofty, haughty, prideful knowledge, but it didn't really affect the way you live your life. But true spiritual knowledge means action not just action for action's sake, but that which is fully pleasing to him. That's, that's the focus of the Christian life, brothers and sisters, that our lives would be fully pleasing to him. Literally, this says, until all pleasing, or pleasing him in every way, pleasing God in every way. And that's the goal, to give Christ pleasure by the way that we live. And that's what matters, and that's the focus. Uh, Kent Hughes says, He's a a preacher, he's a Bible commentator, and he sort of says a good illustration of of how we are to please God is sort of like his dog, Daisy. He doesn't mean to be sacrilegious in that illustration, but he just says, you know, Daisy uh, just wants to please him, this golden retriever. Uh, He says, Daisy dutifully watches me and listens for my voice. Her posture seems to say, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. He says, Daisy doesn't bark or jump or doesn't pull the back door, just waits the door for him to open it and, um, and let him out. And says, Daisy just waits so patiently to do what his master would have her do. And he says, Daisy just worships him. Hughes goes on to say, he says, but Daisy's not very smart. She doesn't understand abstractions. She doesn't think much beyond her toys or the next meal. Or, or, or how to be scratched between her ears. She can't read. She has no eschatology. Uh, Daisy, ultimate vision is the next dog biscuit. And though she has no doctrine of future rewards, she wants to please her master. And that's what we're called to do, is to please the Lord. Brothers and sisters, that's the focus for which Paul prays and for which we pray for ourselves and our families, for others, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. And Ortland wrote a book. Uh, I haven't read the book. I've only seen this quote. But uh, it's entitled, Up With Worship, How to Quit Playing Church. And uh, she, in that, she described the sentiment of a true worshiper of God. And this is what she said. She said, This church service, Lord, is for you. I'm here to give you pleasure. Is that our attitude when we come to worship on Sunday morning, Lord? I just want to come. I just want to please you. I want you. I want to delight in you, Lord. And uh, you know that's that's a good attitude towards worship. But actually, that's our attitude toward all of life. And that is the outcome of that prayer for spiritual wisdom. And so today we're actually going to look at what does that look like as we live that life that's worthy, that's pleasing to God? Uh, How does that manifest itself in our lives? And uh, let me suggest several ways. First of all, um, it does so, um, well, okay, let me just say it this way. When when God answers the petition uh, in verses 9 and 10, we will be a certain kind of people, and let me just describe three kinds of people that we are in one sense uh, as we look at this passage. First of all, we're a progressing people. We're a developing people. Maybe that might be a better word. That is, as God answers this prayer of filling us, right, with the knowledge of his, of all his will, that we will be a transformed people. We will be different uh, we'll be bearing fruit and we'll be increasing in the knowledge of God, as you see in verse 10. But but not just a knowledge of God that knows about God. I mean, we will know more things about God and our knowledge of God will increase, but we're, we'll grow in spiritual intimacy is what we're talking about as we talk about this kind of knowledge. So we'll be a progressing people. Christian living is that which, through the knowledge of God, is constantly bearing fruit And increasing in good works, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And and what we see here, Paul is sort of drawing a link here between the idea of right beliefs and right conduct. Uh, As we've said in the past, right thinking leads to right actions. That's really what Paul's talking about here. As, As we are meditating on the Word of God, as we are reading, as we are studying His Word, and we increase in the knowledge of God, uh, we also uh, change in terms of the way that we live in our conduct, and especially in our love for others. The Holy Spirit causes the fruit of love to grow in our hearts. And, and we've looked at numerous places uh, here on Sunday mornings, uh, lots of times on Wednesday nights too as well, that the mark of the work of the Holy Spirit in a person's life is not only faith, But it's also love for god and love for other people and uh and that is the fruit of the spirit right the fruit of the spirit kids is what love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness meekness self-control right and god grows that fruit in our lives and causes us to love others as a matter of fact john states it so clearly he says beloved let us love one another For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God. So if you're a person here this morning, and you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you just struggle with people, and you especially struggle to love people, don't worry, you will love them. Because you have to take on the character of the God who indwells you. And you will love. God will do that work in you. But then... John goes on and he says, anyone who does not not love does not know God because God is love. We can proclaim that we're a Christian all day long, but if there is no love in our heart towards other people, then God is not at work because God is love. So I want you to notice that the law of God gives us the full knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding in Christ. You know, we don't get it all at once. You know, our knowledge of God grows as we live our lives according to that knowledge. And so there's a sense in which as we're reading God's word and we're coming to know who he is and we, we see what he commands, what he's revealed in his will word, then we we seek to do his will. We we live according. We actually take him at his word and say, Lord, that's true of me. I'll, I'll live that way as you give me strength to do that. And as we, we do that, we come... To know the knowledge of his will. And, and, and we need to live in light of that knowledge. Um, and not seek to wait for greater knowledge. You know, some people seem to do that. They're always looking for the things that they don't know. Right? That's where I think Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine ought to be a verse that every Christian is required to memorize. Right? Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine: The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us. But you know, what's human nature? Human nature is to totally blow off and ignore the things that God has revealed to us that are very clear in Scripture. And we want instead to know how many angels can dance on the head of a pen. And we would rather spend hours pontificating our belly buttons and try to understand the deep secrets of God. Or maybe sometimes we just want to know God why did you allow this to come into my life and we want to focus upon that rather than understanding and living out the clear teachings that he's already given to us and that's what he calls us to is to those that clear revelation that he has given to us and even if we don't have all of our answers or questions answered We must give ourselves to that light in which we walk. I know I've used this illustration in the past, but you know, Psalm 119 talks about how God's word is a light to our path. You know, and in our day and time, I can have a flashlight that can shine from here to Malcolm Automotive Center across the street, right? I mean, it's so powerful. You know, it's like a bazillion lumens, right? But in biblical days, they had a little lamp that had uh, oil in it and a little wick and they would light it and it would give just enough light that would just go beyond my feet. And as I take a step, then there's more light to see what's ahead. And as I take a step, there's a little more light. And I take a step and there's a little more light. I don't get to see the whole big picture. I just get to see it a step at a time. Um, But I can trust the Lord that He will lead me in the right way as I walk in the light of his word and the power of his Holy Spirit. So so I want us to see that, you know, for those that uh, are his children, that uh, a life that is worthy is one of knowledge. It's one of knowing God. But it's also a life of power as well. And so uh, we not only are a progressing people, progressively growing to be like Jesus Christ, but we are a durable people as well. Look at verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Now, when we think of power, there may be a lot of different things that come to mind. And when you think of the power of God that's at work, you know, you may have a lot of different things that come to mind. For some people, they think of Benny Hinn. You know, and he heals in the name of Jesus, you know, and that's what they think of as power. You know, most likely, uh, if you're a Reformed Presbyterian, that's not the first thing that comes to your mind, but, you know, it might be. But, you know, you might think of power in terms of God parting the Red Sea. Or or maybe true power of God is how the Israelites could walk around a city for days, and then on the last days, they're blowing the trumpets These three feet thick walls just begin to crumble on their own and fall down and the city is taken. Or maybe power is when Jesus tells Lazarus, come forth, Lazarus. And he comes from the grave. Now alive once again. But you know what? Most of us don't see power uh, in that way in our lives because that's not how God... Uh, designates the power look at what he talks about here being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might how and why for all endurance and patience with joy you see the power that he gives us is for endurance and patience for long-suffering and the reason he gives us all that power is so that you can endure because You are going to face troubles and trials in this life and difficulties in this life. And you just need to be able to get up every day, one day at a time, and walk in the power and the strength that the Lord gives you. And he gives you that power mightily that you might be able to do that. Paul says that you have all kinds of power given by Christ for all kinds of trouble. As one person said, they said, God fortifies his people for the flack that they're going to face. I like that. He fortifies his people for the flack that they're going to face. And so we as a people are a a durable people. But I want you to notice it says here, for all endurance and patience with joy. The endurance and the patience of, of a Christian is not one of just barely hanging on. And in the face of troubles. But it is of joy. Of taking pleasure in the Lord. What is the chief in demand, kids? To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And there's that sense of joy of knowing God. Well, the third thing uh, that we see here, the third kind of people that we are, is a grateful people. Uh, verses 12 through 14. and And... So we see a progressing people, a durable people, and a grateful people. Now, it's interesting because this is the longest section of Paul's explanation regarding this prayer. Um, He spends the bulk of this passage on this idea of being a grateful people. And notice that uh, why he gives thanks. Look at verse 12. God has met our inadequacies, right? Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you... To share in the inheritance of the saints in light. We don't have that ability in and of ourselves because of our sin to be able to have the hope of glory. But He has met that inadequacy, that sin. But also, God has dealt with our bondage and rescued us out of the authority of darkness. Verse 13: He has delivered us from the domain domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Verse 14 we get thanks and we're grateful because he has dealt with our guilt in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins now as you look at this passage i i I really think what paul is doing here is he's using verses 13 and 14 to sort of unpack uh, what he seems to be saying in verse 12 okay what he seems to be saying is is that the way god has qualified us to share in the future inheritance that he's promise to his people is first of all through the new freedom that he has given to them through the new freedom that he's given to them it says here that he has rescued us from the authority of darkness and he has transferred us into the kingdom of the son he loves you hear that in other words god qualifies us by rescue he rescues us he has rescued us. He rescued us from the authority of darkness, from, from evil, from, from harmful, from demonic powers that once enslaved us, from the authority that sought to destroy us and to do us greater harm. Now think about this, brothers and sisters. Think about this idea of slavery, that we were in bondage. It really, really, really struck me what we talked about in Sunday School a couple weeks ago with Bob Godfrey Used the illustration about how you know so many of us get upset about slavery during the the time of the Civil War and it was an awful thing you know don't get me wrong but then he went on to say but you know if you look at human trafficking today and the amount of people that are being abducted in in, in the human trafficking and the slave industry, the sex industry there are way more slaves today in our world than there ever were during the civil war. Wow. But that's what we were like, brothers and sisters. We were slaves. We were made to do things that were awful that would bring to delight to our master to Satan who seeks to destroy us. He took great joy in putting us through awful things. And that's once where we were. Now, sometimes that slavery doesn't look so bad. Sometimes a person's life in slavery looks really good in the sense that a person could just have an easy life, a great life, great prosperity, all of these wonderful things because Satan wants them to have these great things lest they might think about God and turn to Him and repent of their sins. And so, not all slavery looks equal, but it's as... Equally as binding and awful and evil in our lives. And God says that I have rescued that. Rescued you from that slavery. And I have now given you a new freedom. He has transferred us to a different authority. To the rule and authority and protection of the son whom he loves. This is my son. I'm taking you out of this awful thing and I'm giving you to my son. I'm giving you to the one that I know he will love you and he will care for you. And he will do all that is is good for you. The one in whom you are in authority under now loves you more than you can ever grasp. You know, and I I wonder sometimes, I don't think we consciously think that, but I was just thinking about this this week and I thought, I wonder if sometimes if we think that Satan's rule isn't quite as bad as what we think. And so sometimes we're quick to run back to our sin and, and those things because we think, well, it's not really so bad to be under bondage. And then I think sometimes that we don't really grasp how greatly God loves us and so we sort of like, you know, you know, Satan's not so bad, you know, God's okay, but he's not just like fantastic. And and so I wonder if con- so sort of subconsciously, we sort of think about Satan and God in, in Greek mythology terms. You know, where you know the gods of, of the Greek world were deities that sort of played with the lives of the people on earth. They were good, sometimes evil, sometimes. They were mischievous. They sort of toyed with us. You know, do we sometimes fall into that trap in thinking about God that, you know, maybe Satan's not so bad. And, you know, maybe God is good, but, you know, he also brings those things into our lives that are, are difficult. So, you know, there's sort of that evil. And, and we just really don't have this biblical picture that Paul lays out for here of one of slavery and bondage and one of complete freedom in Jesus Christ to live as God has created us to live. And Paul is saying that God has rescued us. And that idea of rescue is an act of love and benevolence, brothers and sisters, that he would come in and rescue you. I mean, imagine someone who goes into a cult, you know, and people are in bondage in this cult and they can't get out and they're brainwashed and they need to be snatched out and rescued and and reprogrammed to, to think clearly once again. That's what God has done for us. And he has transferred you into the kingdom of his sons and we loves under one who loves you and cares for you so deeply. But he not only has given us this new freedom, but also new forgiveness as well. Uh, new forgiveness as well. It says, look in verse 14, uh, he, he has given us redemption. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, kids... Redemption means to buy back something out of uh, bondage by the payment of a price. Now, you're going to say, Pastor Rick, I don't have any idea what you just said. Well, let me try to explain it, okay? This is sort of an illustration somebody used with me when I was a little kid, okay? They said, imagine if you had a boat, and you loved this boat, and you would take it out to the lake, and you would just put it in the lake and let it go. Now, in my day and time, a boat was on a string, and you would let it go, and the wind would cause it to blow, and... Then you pull the string back in, and then you can let it back out. In your day and time, let's use a remote control, right? Because that's what you do, you would have a remote control. And so you're, you're, you're letting your boat go out in the lake, but let's just say your boat goes so far out, all of a sudden your remote quits working, and your boat just keeps going and going and going, and you're just watching it, it just disappears. And the lake is so big that you can't really get to the other side of the lake to get your boat, and it's just gone. And you're just heartbroken, you're just brokenhearted. Because you love this boat so much. Well, you think you'll never see this boat again. But the, the next day, when you go to town, you walk past this store, and then actually in the window is your boat. And you go into the store, and you go to the owner, and you say, that's my boat. And he goes, no, that's my boat. I found it. Mm-hmm. If you want it, you got to buy it. And so you decide at that moment in time, I'm going to buy that boat. And so you work, you do chores for your parents and your grandparents, neighbors, everybody. You, can. you work all summer and you finally earn enough money and you go in and you buy back that which was already yours. That's what God did for us, kids. He created us. We are his. He made us. But then he bought us again. He paid the price for our sins that we might be his and that's why we as a people can be so grateful and thankful. You see, redemption is it's much bigger than just the forgiveness of sins. It, it was is not God simply wiping the slate clean, but it also is dealing with the guilt that sin produces. You know, it's it's one thing for our sins to not be held against us, but it's a whole never a, a whole new level of grace that God would remove the guilt that we have because of our past offenses towards him. Notice what Paul says in verse 14, in whom we have. That's present tense. It's not past tense. Not in in whom we had like when we first came to Jesus Christ and we were forgiven and now we're not. He's showing us no we still have forgiveness even today for the sins that the, the Christian life is one of continual forgiveness. And so we have a new forgiveness that has qualified us and has dealt with our sins. And that's why we are a grateful people. That's why we come every Sunday to worship the Lord and say, God, I just want to remember again and to praise you for what you have done for me. It sort of reminds me of the story of, of Kenny McDonald. He uh, lived off the Isle of Lewis, off the northwest coast of Scotland back in 1949, 1950, sometime around that time. And there was a revival that was going on at that time on the Isle of Lewis. And, and uh, it wasn't a revival like we think of a revival. We have a revival like we schedule it, right? Monday through Friday, we're going to have a revival. And so we have these meetings. That's not what I'm talking about. They actually were holding meetings because the Holy Spirit was convicting people of their sins. And they were coming to faith in Jesus Christ. And so that's what was going on at that time. And, and, and uh, at the same time, the Isle of Lewis had a heritage of, sort of, of the Reformed faith. So a lot of people grew up knowing the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Uh, even households where people were not believers would have family worship in morning and evening. And so there was a lot of exposure to God's Word. But you know, that didn't necessarily mean that they were believers but there was this revival going on. And in the midst of this, there was this man, Kenny McDonald, he was about 29 years old, and he was into drinking and dancing and things like that. Very unhappy young man, uh, looking for meaning in life and things. And he had decided to get a couple of bottles of of booze uh, for the New Year's uh, celebration. And uh, as a matter of fact, he couldn't wait till then. So after the church service, He actually went out behind the church kids and he drank one of the bottles of beer. Well, like I said, he was a very troubled young man, a very miserable. But he had also promised his aunt that he would come to the after meeting. Now, what the after meeting was is, is after you had church, then you would go to someone's house and people would gather in and then an evangelist would come and he would preach there in the house. And so Kenny had promised his aunt he would come to the after meeting. And so he did. This was maybe like 9 o'clock at night, okay? And Kenny came and he heard Duncan Campbell, the evangelist, speaking. And and the passage that struck Kenny on that night was John 14, uh, verse 6, where Jesus said, I am the way. And that stuck in Kenny's head for some reason. And, And at the end of the meeting, the evangelist said, There's been a room that's been cleared out for you, okay? And for all of those for whom the things of this world have not satisfied you, I want to encourage you to go into this room and I want you to pray to God. The evangelist says, I can't convert you, but God can. So just go into that room if you would, and he will fulfill your longing, the longings of your heart. Of course, everybody knew Kenny because this was a small community and so it was sort of a struggle, you know, for someone just to go in and to sort of admit that. Um, and so, uh, so he was sort of wrestling. But then Kenny said, "I felt an amazing strength." And he said, "Lord, if you take me," he said, "I'll come now." And Kenny went. He went into the other room, and he he cried out to God, and he said, "The Lord filled him with such unbelievable joy." And he said he knew his heart was free. That night, God met Kenny and brought him to his son. He transferred him from the domain of Satan into the kingdom of his son. And then this is what Kenny says about that experience. He goes, I never, ever look back. God saved me that night in the house, and he will never hear the end of it. Don't you love that? God saved me that night, and he'll never hear the end of it. He said, I will praise him throughout eternity for his patience and grace for a sinner like me. He said, I have never lost what he gave me that night. In addition to the joy of salvation, he gave me tears. And he said, and I have never lost those tears. Brothers and sisters, Paul says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. I hope it's your prayer today that God saved me that night in the house and he'll never hear the end of it. That's where we ought to be. That's where Paul sort of ends this prayer with a grateful people. Uh, Folks who will never ever recover from the great salvation that has been shown to them. May we be people who says, God saved me, and he'll never hear the end of it. Let's bow our heads as we meditate upon God's word this morning. God of all revelation, we we come to you this morning and we give thanks to you, Lord, that you have revealed to us who you are and who we are and your great salvation for your people. Lord, we, we are not like the pagans of years past who wondered, you know, what do I need to do to appease my God and they had to try to figure things out. You are a God that communicates, you are a God that clearly gives a message, you are seeking the people who weren't seeking you. And we thank you, God, that you sought every one of us that are your children here this morning. And we just thank you for the salvation that you have given to us and pray that we might be uh, filled with a knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that we might live a life that is worthy of the Lord and pleasing to you, O oh God. God, may you make these things that we talked about a reality in our church, in our homes, in our lives. Father, I pray for those that don't know you this morning, and I pray that they might come to faith in you, that just like Kenny, God, as he was searching for the answers, as he was wrestling, as he was turning to other means, alcohol, other things like that, God, to try to fulfill the desires of his heart, Lord, that they would turn to you. And find true satisfaction in you and you alone. We thank you, Lord, and pray these things in your name. Amen. (laughs)